Well, kia ora. let's move to New Zealand sporting history now. And today we're travelling not too far back in time to the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics. It was held under strict COVID quarantine and two young athletes wrote themselves into the history books, ending a 70-year wait for Kiwi Winter Olympics gold. Zoe Sadowski's Senate was one, and the other was my guest today, free skier Nika Porteous, who skied and spun his way through the air to win the men's freestyle halfpipe. Four years earlier, when he was just 16, he had won bronze at Pyeongchang Winter Olympic Games. That made him New Zealand's youngest ever Olympic medal winner across all Olympics. And Nico is in California, but has generously found some time in his day, I guess, in his Wednesday morning for us. Hi there, Nico. Hi, Jesse. How are you? Good, thank you. Wednesday morning, do I have that right? No, no, Wednesday evening. Yeah, of course, yes. How's life in yeah. beautiful California? Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's yeah, as you said, it's beautiful. Uh, some, summertime over here, so... Um, yeah, it's actually the summer solstice today, so it's the longest day of the year. Of course. Um, so we've got some beautiful weather and uh, the sun shines out and uh, it's about 25 degrees. So, um, huh. yeah, it's great. Where are you and what are you doing there? I'm actually – so I'm currently not in California anymore. Um, I'm, I, uh, I'm actually up in Oregon uh, mm. at the moment um, training on Mount Hood. Uh, so after my – I've had a year off for the past year and so – or since the Olympics out of half fight, um, I have I've had time off, and so um, today was actually my first day back training in the half fight since the Olympics. Oh gosh! So um, yeah, yeah, it's been a while, um, but it's yeah, it's exciting to get back into it. Yeah, that that seems from the perspective of a non elite athlete, that seems like quite a long uh, amount of time to take off a whole year, Nico. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I mean, yeah, it definitely is a bit of time off. Um, I mean, I, I, I have, I've been skiing. Um, so I've been living in, in Innsbruck um, for the winter, for the Northern Hemisphere winter. Um, and a big part of skiing is is filming and um, filming video projects. And so this year I decided to take a, a step back from, from competitive uh, half-pipe skiing and uh, focus on more of the filming side of it. And um, so last week I actually just completed the filming for um, a solo video project that I've worked on for the past six months. And um, yeah, pretty excited to release that. Yeah, that's interesting. So so you see it as, as quite a, a big part of the job. Yeah, it's a huge part. Um, and I think that's what's so cool about our sport is that there are, um, you know, lots of avenues, well, there's, you know, two avenues in, in skiing um, to to uh, make a living off and, and to be a professional in. Um, and it's something that I've always wanted to do since, since um, you know, starting freestyle skiing. And this season sort of just presented the right opportunity, you know, coming off the back of a knee injury. Mm. And, um, yeah, I just thought that it was it was great timing. And, um, yeah, it all worked out and, and was great. Of all the competitions that you're involved in around the world, where do the Winter Olympics sit in terms of importance to you? Yes, yeah, it's, it's set pretty high up. Um, I mean, four years prior, I set the goal that I wanted to, I wanted to win the next Olympics, and um, you know, so it's, it's set pretty high up on my on my agenda. And um, yeah, it was it was very very special. Can you tell us what those Winter Games were like last year? And and you're lucky enough to have the Pyeongchang ones to compare them to. 
was that those quarantine conditions did they have a big impact? Um, to be honest, not not uh, not too much. Um, it was it was quite nice uh, in the way that there was there was not uh, heaps of people coming and going. It was sort of once you landed at the airport, you were tested and then and then allowed into the Olympic bubble. And once you were in that bubble, you didn't leave that bubble. So um, it was it was genuinely pretty normal inside the village, apart from testing every day and. Um, it felt it felt like Pyeongchang, other than the fact that we couldn't go out and you know see our families and go out for dinner or um, yeah you know go around and see the sights and um, sort of taken taken everything the country has to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but but other than that, it felt like a fairly normal Olympics. Yeah, and and where were you staying in Beijing? What were the what was the accommodation like? Oh, we so we were. Four and five hours uh, northwest of Beijing. Um, five I'm, hours. I'm sorry. Yeah, so five, by bus. Yeah, so five hours by bus north of Beijing. Um, now, obviously, China's so big that they still class that Beijing. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was. It was the accommodation was amazing. We had our own apartment style rooms, and um, they had really, really comfortable beds. Unlike Korea. Um, <laughs> we had a great food court. Um, Did they not have yeah, very good so beds in that, Korea? No, the beds in Korea were like sleeping on a rock. Oh no, <laughs> they were they were they were horrible. Yeah, sheesh, what's the story? Yeah, That's very tough. Yeah, I, I don't know, but apart from that, the IOC are great at, um, at making sure the village is is comfortable and um, athletes are accommodated with their needs, and mm. um, and especially you know the New Zealand team are also very good at that as well, and so making sure that. We have all those basic essentials, and um, yeah, so it was it was good. So four years earlier, as you said, you'd set, set yourself a goal. You'd won the bronze in Pyeongchang. I imagine that was as a sixteen-year-old, like that would have been a huge achievement. You'd have been stoked with that. Yeah, that was crazy. That was um, that was absolutely crazy, um, and I think that sort of that sort of felt like the kickstart into my career, um, mm. into my world stage career, and. Um, yeah, and then and then it sort of just continued on from there, which is which has been a wild ride. But um, yeah, really enjoyed it, and it's taken me to some amazing places. Yeah. Okay. So you set this goal, and and that four years was. Did you hit your targets? Did you feel like you were on track to win the gold in Beijing? Um, I was hitting my targets. I mean, obviously, I didn't. There was no point where I was like, oh, I'm on track to win the gold. It was more just I'm hitting my targets. I'm doing good. Um, I'm skiing really well. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, anything can happen. Um, and I just made sure that I was the most prepared I could be. Um, but, yeah, in the build-up to the Olympics, I was um, getting some of the best results of my life and mm. putting down some of the best runs that I ever had. And so science were definitely lining up. Um, but like I said, anything can really happen on the day. So I just made sure that I was on top of my form and, and um, yeah, did everything that I could. Can you explain to us how the free ski halfpipe competition works? Yeah, so the free ski halfpipe competition works. We have uh, qualifying. And so qualifying is the whole field um, and it's best run of two. Um and uh, the top 12 at the Olympics move forward into finals. And then finals uh, is on a different day. And that is um, best of best run of three. Um, 
as your as your final score. And so it scored out of a hundred. Um, and yeah, it's pretty much who can who can ski the best on the day. You don't take your points from the heats into the next day. No, no, the points get completely reset. The only thing that does change is the is the start list order. So the person who qualifies first starts last in mm-hmm. finals. Um, so it's quite a big advantage to be starting last in finals, uh, being able to watch what the level is that day and, and what other people are putting down. And um, I guess in some cases it can all come down to that last run and uh, being the last person standing at the top and uh, knowing that you've still got one chance after everyone's gone is, is uh, pretty helpful sometimes. Five runs in total then over the course of the competition. And are you doing the same routine each time? No, no. So um, in qualifying, it's normally uh, the level's a little bit lower than finals. Um, I mean, obviously at the Olympics, the Olympics is a little bit different in the fact that you normally have to do quite a bit more to get into the finals um, just because everyone wants one of those 12 spots. Uh, So the level's normally a lot higher. And um, so you come up with a qualifying plan uh, and then uh, normally, normally the qualifying plan sits at about 60 to 70 percent of of your um full pull yeah so um then you go into finals day and uh, i guess an event like the olympics it's sort of all out um winner takes all sort of thing it's um it's about skiing smart and, and uh with the strategy but then also about um not being afraid to push it to your absolute max yeah so three runs in those finals and are those three the same or are you changing them depending on what other people are doing or, or depending on what you've done in your earlier runs? Yeah. You're, uh, personally, personally, I genuinely just focus on myself. Um, and in, in that situation in February in 2022, we had uh, some pretty horrible conditions. Um, those of you that were watching would have, would have seen the, the wind and the cold temperatures that we had. And so, uh, it was on days like that, it becomes quite a lot of strategy because not everyone can do their best runs and you sort of have to play to your strengths and, um, yeah, and, and, and just try and ski the best that you can in those conditions. So what did you decide to do and when do you decide what you're going to do? Um, you normally decide in, in warm-up. So, you'll, I mean, you'll have a plan. You'll have a plan two or three years out from the games on, on what run you're hoping to do. But, um, you know, like we saw in 2022, it was, um, you know, the conditions weren't favourable and we um, sort of changed that plan a little bit and dialed it, dialed it back uh, in, in warm-up. And, um, you know, then then first run came around and, and I ran, landed the first plan that I wanted to do and that was sort of like my baseline run. Let's put that down and then work on it from there. But, um I guess the the conditions didn't really allow from that, and and uh, gave my absolute all, but I couldn't couldn't uh, up my run, and um, yeah, it it was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, I think we've got some uh, footage here or some audio of that time. I'm not sure if you'll be able to hear this, Nico, but for everyone else, here it is. Nico, known for bringing some big spins here in the middle of the pipe. So you see that switch, double cork 10, and then he goes for the 16-20 and does that back-to-back. So both directions, this run is insane. Nico Porti is putting it down. It was your first run, 
and that was the one that won you the gold medal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's crazy to hear that audio. I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> um, definitely flooded flooded back some memories through the head. Um, but yeah, it was my first run that they ended up winning, and and that's not really that's not very common that that happens. Um, and I think that just comes down to the the fact of there being you know terrible conditions and that added Olympic pressure that uh, comes with uh, the Olympic Games and yeah, um, yeah it, it held on. Where did you qualify, by the way? I qualified second. Okay, so they would have reached a point then with your third run where um, you would have been pretty sure that you had that gold with just you and one other bloke still to go. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and and that's a uh, yeah definitely. Um, so there was a certain point at the end where um, I knew that a hundred percent that I was going to be on the podium again, um, and then there was just one more person uh, to drop after, and it's sort of a bittersweet moment uh, that that final moment where I found out uh, I won gold because it's you know we're all we're all such good friends on the tour and there's huge camaraderie between competitors although we are an individual sport we're all really good friends. And so uh, the, the person that was last to drop Aaron Blunt from the USA um, actually had quite a bad crash halfway down. And so oh. uh, he ended up, he ended up with a, with a bit of an injury and, but you know, him crashing meant that I, I had won. And so it was sort of like, Oh, you know, like um, it was, yeah, there was lots of mixed emotions going through my head, um, which was, which was pretty crazy. Yeah, and you don't want to be seen to be celebrating someone else's misfortune, I guess. We've no, exactly, yeah. exactly. We've heard this before about other sports, uh, I want to say like this, um, motocross, we were talking, same sort of thing, a lot of camaraderie. It seems like one of those sports where you were up against yourself as much as the guy before or after you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think... What, why why uh, our sport has that camaraderie is that, you know, we are in a really uh, extremely dangerous sport. We are all uh, risking our um, our bodies and, and potentially lives at some point um, to, to, you know, do the sport that we do. And um, so I think that really, that really brings a camaraderie between us and, and that we all understand the risk that we're taking um, by doing this and, um, yeah, it, it makes for a really uh, special and unique environment. Speaking of mates, I think by the time you won your golds, Zoe sadowski Sinnott had already won her event. Yeah, yeah, she had. So she won it. So I competed in the second week of the games, um, and she was one of the first events to go. And so she, mm. she'd won. Uh, she won her medal pretty much on like the third day of the Olympics. And so I was actually still in Switzerland at that point. And um, again, crazy mixed emotions because Zoe is one of my really, really good friends. And, um, you know, obviously we've been through quite a bit together with, you know, both podiuming at uh, Pyeongchang. And then um, we always seem to land on the podium together. So we were both cheering each other on, but um, I was in Switzerland when that happened, and and um, my goodness, did it put some pressure on my shoulders, you know, see, seeing mm-hmm. Zoe win, and and I was just so so um, excited for her and and uh, proud of her and and that achievement that that she had done. Uh, but then at the same time, I was like, oh my goodness, now it's my turn. Um, so it was it was pretty stressful uh, for sure. Where were your family? My family were back in New Zealand. Uh-huh. 
So yeah. who who did you have to celebrate with when you found out that you'd won gold? Um, I had my brother. My brother was there with me. Um, he well, he also competes in halfpipe as well, and um, has has just retired recently. But uh, up until uh, this year, was was on the tour with me, um, and and travelling and competing, and then uh, also had my fellow teammates and and in and around the village. And um, my coach, who's coached me since I was six, pretty much taught me my first trick and then has coached me all the way up until that point and, and, and still does coach me now. And so that was, it was, it, it felt like I had family around. Um, although, you know, my mum and dad weren't there, it really did feel like I had family around. And, um, it was, it was a very, very special time and, uh, something that, that I'll always cherish and, and look back on. Yeah. It, now I want to talk about the danger with you. How big a factor is that for you? Because I know it's one of, well, I mean, anything on the slopes is dangerous, but this is one of the more dangerous events within the winter sports sort of family. Is that something you think about, the risk? Do you have to not think about it in order to do what you do? What's your What's your thoughts on that? I think it's a bit of both. You know, we, we are in a dangerous sport and, and um, you know, things can go wrong. But I think with with our sport being so dangerous, it really takes a lot of, lot of, um, you know, calculating risk and, and weighing up, um, you know, what it's worth and, and, um, also, you know, really taking the necessary steps to make sure that we do minimize risk, you know, going through the training steps of, uh, starting on the trampoline and then working our way, um, through the air, using the airbag, uh, which is a big 20 meter by 20 meter vinyl blow up pillow, pretty much that allows us a, gives us a safer environment to try it on rather than just going into uh, straight onto snow. And then from there we do take it onto snow and that step is always scary. Um, mm. And it's, and it's terrifying. And, and that is sort of when you are most vulnerable um, in terms of injury. And uh, But at the end of the day, it's all calculated and it's all extremely um, work. It's worked out. Um, yeah. Down to the, um, smallest little detail. So we try to minimize risk at the, um, as much as we can, but at the end of the day, we are in a dangerous sport and, and things do happen. So you just have to deal with it. Do your parents worry about you? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I think so, but then maybe, I don't know, maybe not. They're, they're probably, um, probably pretty used to it by now. I mean, obviously I have very, oh, I mean, I, ha- I have very, very caring parents and um, supportive parents. And so I think they are, um, they're definitely nervous watching, but I think they, they see how much hard work um, I put into, to um, the sport. And, and um, I, I think that that comforts them in a way. So you, do you remember what it was like being up on the podium by the world? You did the full national anthem thing. And, and do you remember that moment? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that moment. Um, it was definitely all a blur, but um, huh. I I really do remember that moment. And um, I remember looking out and, and seeing everyone in the crowd and seeing my brother and my coach. And they all did a haka for me, which was pretty special. And um, yeah, it was just a, it was a really proud moment. It was, um, you know, 10 years of hard work and had come down to that and um a lot of my young adult life had been dedicated to to trying to achieve that moment, and so it was 
it was pretty pretty surreal and even you know now now looking back on that it, it's um it's even more of a special moment uh, i think uh which is really cool and so i'll definitely hold that memory forever does a gold medal change your life nah <laughs> I, don't, I don't think a gold medal changes your life in my opinion um i mean at the end of the day i'm still the same person i was in january uh in january 2022 um <laughs> as i am now and so um i, I don't think it, it uh, necessarily changes your life i think that it it um brings you know slightly more attention to to yourself in certain situations and um you know and and again in some situations there's lots of eyes watching you and so i think um it even more uh even more so um really makes you be a role model to uh up and coming kids but i really don't think it, it changes your life at all i mean i still feel like the same person i was yeah you have so much of your life ahead of you nico do you think about nico portius at 40 and 50 and 60 and what you want that to look like and i i ask that given that You've won two Olympic gold medals, you know, by the time you're, uh, sorry, two Olympic medals by the time you're 20. You've you got the member of the New Zealand Order of Merits last year. I mean, so much of your life has already been so successful. Do you think about the future? I do think about the future. Yeah, I do. And I think that sort of goes back to, um, you know, your last question of, of does it change your life? And um, it's, it's really, you know, the... I always really make sure that the results don't define, I try to make sure that the results don't um, define who I am and, and who I will be as a person. And so, uh, you know, I think I'm definitely going to, definitely going to try and push, push um, skiing and um, really work hard at that over the next four years. But then looking, you know, 20 years into the future, I'd, I'd like to be, you know, working a stable job with a family and, um, and, you know, sort of living a bit of a normal life and, um, still keeping up with my hobbies of skiing and um you know things outside of skiing but yeah i definitely like mm -hmm. to to move more into that normal life and um not not let my results define who i am forever is it hard as an elite sports person when you achieve your goals is it hard to get that gold medal and then wake up the next day and think what's next um no, I don't think so. I, I think, well, personally for me, I, I just, um, I just always want to keep moving forward, whether that's in, you know, competitive side of skiing or, or in the filming side of skiing, like I've done this past season. And, um, I think that there's, there's always goals that, um, you can, you can achieve. And I mean, obviously you take time to, to decompress and to, um, to remember those amazing times like um you know like i had in february of 2022 and, um but i think you you just keep naturally moving forward and and don't dwell uh on the past whether that's in competing and skiing or whether that's in other areas of life i think um i've uh, been always taught to to uh, always try and be the best person i can and so um i just keep trying to move forward i bet you get grumpy when you're injured yeah, I do. <laughs> I get real grumpy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, you hurt your well, knee like the yeah. month after the Olympics, right? Oh, we yeah, I hurt my knee three weeks after the Olympics, and, and that was a nine-month um, rehab. Um, and to be honest, looking back on it, that was, that was 
um, life-changing. It was absolutely unreal. And I'm so thankful for that whole rehab and that injury because it really made me step back and, and reassess and, and um, you know, reflect on on those that crazy sort of five to six year period of Pyeongchang and then uh, also Beijing as well, and then be able to put that behind me and move forward into into what's next. And so I, I'm uh, extremely extremely thankful for that injury, and um, I think it's one of the the best things that's ever happened to me. Good stuff. Um, anything in your ambitions or in your future goals that you want to tell us about anything that's motivating you to get back onto the half pipe? Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously I'd love to love to, um, get back to, um, you know, full top level half pipe skiing in which, you know, I'm starting that process right now and, um, you know, build up to the next Olympics in 2026 in Milan. Um, and sort of just take it, take it year by year, and um, can continue to film and and um, push the sport in my own ways, and really try and be creative and and be a visionary of the sport is one of my one of my really big goals, and um, hopefully I can leave a legacy and and my own mark on it and inspire um, young people in the sport of half pipe skiing, and then also just in in um, in New Zealand in general to um, go out there and and really push themselves and, and try and achieve their dreams. You already have inspired many New Zealanders, I know it. Nico Porteous, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Uh, cheers, Jesse. Thanks for having me on the show. Nico Porteous on his gold-winning effort at the Beijing Winter Olympics.